It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Remember what I said, ideas? So what you hear from me are my ideas. What I believe is right. And that the information I'm giving you is factual and truthful. And I do the best I can at it because let's face it, I'm not a very entertaining guy. What I am is hopefully a good source of information to help you take better control of your life and your wallet. And so that's why I value so much your feedback when you point out to me that my advice was wrong, my opinion is out of line, whatever it is. And that's why we have Clark Stinks at Clark.com, where you can go there and let me know that I've missed the mark and others can read what you posted, they can add to it, they can disagree with you. And then once a week, our producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you right here, right now. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right. You look very serious today. I'm very serious. Okay. (laughs) Clark, you don't stink, but I disagree with you. Since long-term care rates are based on age and health condition, it's better to buy when one is young and in good health when the rates are lower. The truth is, by the time one is ready for long-term care, they have a- will have actually paid the whole cost of the care. That is why rates start out low, so low. At- also, by the time a person's 50 to 60, their health may be so poor that they don't qualify and the rates are higher for their age. Another exception is if an employer offers long-term care insurance, one should take it because the group insurance is offered to the entire group regardless of health condition. My employer offered long-term care insurance after I was disabled in my 40s. I immediately enrolled knowing that I could not get this insurance elsewhere. The rate remained the same until about a year ago when I accepted an inflation option. At that time, I spoke with a member of Team Clark, and he told me how to calculate if it was a good deal or not. Thank you, Clark. Another reason to get it at a younger age is that a person may need long-term care at a younger age due to illness or accident. I appreciate your post, and I'm so glad that you were able to get this coverage at a time that would have been difficult for you to medical under, medically underwrite. And I wanted to say to you on this, the reason I say late 50s, early 60s, is you can't insure against every eventuality in life. But so often, people up to that point are still dealing with the expense if they have children, of children, getting enough money put aside for retirement. When you look at the list of priorities and things we have to fund, I put uh, saving for long-term or buying a long-term care insurance policy is one that is a priority, but lower on the priority scale until someone hits that point later in life. Most people uh, are still in a condition physically to be able to qualify for long-term care, late 50s, early 60s. Obviously not everybody, but that's why I give that general advice. Your suggestion about piggybacking through an employer plan without medical underwriting is a great suggestion. 
Clark, don't tell people to reset their computer. I was listening to the podcast and I heard a call from a woman who wanted to get a Chromebook for her financial transactions. She asked Clark what to do about her current PC since she had already done financial transaction on, transactions on it. Clark recommended that she do a factory reset. Wrong answer. I'm a techie and I avoid factory resets because of the amount of work involved with getting your system back to a workable state. Even if she knows how to do a complete backup and restore, there are often programs, operating system updates, drivers, and any number of other things that will need to be manually performed to arrive back where she is. Plus, if she does a backup to restore the financial, the, it does a backup and restore, the financial information may come back. The better answer is to use the Chromebook to do what she would do anyway, change every single password, and make them strong passwords. Note, the person who complained about being called a techie needs to get over it. Signed, a Georgia Tech computer science grad. Thank you very much, Georgia Tech Con- consumer computer science grad. <laughs> Can I say that three times? I don't think so. I appreciate the suggestion. And it is a puzzle for any of us that are non-techies, using the word that you have now reestablished as part of my vocabulary, And so I appreciate you giving a different path. As far as having uh, great, strong passwords, LastPass and Dashlane are the two most highly recommended ways for you to be able to do that. Clark gave some advice on renting a car in Italy, but he forgot one thing. If you're stopped for any reason and do not have an international driver's license, you may have a real problem. I was stopped for a license check and was sure glad I had one. I would recommend a quick visit to AAA, the AAA office and spend 20 bucks plus the picture cost to be safe. Just saying. That is an interesting suggestion. And so the information is all over the board on whether or not you should carry an international driver's license. It's really a vestige of a prior era, but in many ways, Italy is, at least in terms of government, in a prior era. And so having the small additional expense of getting an international driver's license, traveling to not just Italy, but certain other countries where government can be more haphazard is a very worthy suggestion. It's very easy to do at a AAA office. Oh, Clark, you made a Pepe Le Pew error on a recent show. You said that you never heard of installing solar PV on a metal roof. FYI, a standing seam metal roof is ideal for solar installation. My system's installed on one, and our solar installer was very pleased that we have a standing seam metal roof because it makes the installation easier. Not only due to the standing seams prevent drilling any holes in not only do the standing seams prevent drilling holes in the roof a metal roof should also last the life of the home so you shouldn't have to add the expense of removing the panels to replace your roof just thought you should know sean sean thank you and and something else your fellow americans should thank you for having put in that solar on your roof there's enough solar that's been installed on rooftops around the country and enough utility grade solar that's been installed that at a lot of the peaking during the summer around the country where we've had heat waves the solar has saved everybody on their power bills because power companies have had to spend a lot less money for peak demand where normally power rates skyrocket at wholesale 
during heat waves, the solar panels have mitigated a lot of that. And ironically enough, instead of solar being a cost that's been borne by others who don't have it, the people who have installed solar, it's now turning out it's saving everybody money. And so you are doing not only a benefit for yourself by having solar, you're doing a public good as well. Recently, you mentioned that people that live in the blue states like California, New York, and New Jersey, as examples, with high property tax and state income tax would possibly be in for a big surprise and have a large tax bill. Clark, people have no idea how true this is. You need to scream about it and mention it weekly. The further we get into the year, the bigger the amount of money they're going to have to cough up. I just had to increase my federal withholdings by $1,000 a paycheck. What if I did not do this until October, November, or even December? Please, please, please bring this up weekly. Thanks for telling me to always live below my means. I have and teach others to do so as well. Keep fighting for us and teaching us daily. So now I'm going to generate so many Clark stinks from people that are politically tribal. I don't even know how we're going to count them all, but go to Clark.com and go to Clark stinks after what I'm about to say. Okay, Underconnect under our message boards. Thank you. So it's really a mistake to ever pass a tax law in the United States at the federal level that is passed by single party. And it creates distrust and it creates distortions in the economy. The tax bill, the tax law was passed party line vote. And that's not smart because... Businesses need to be able to plan for taxes in how they build their businesses. And when you pass a tax law on a single partisan basis, and the tax law has features that were specifically designed to punish people who live in blue states, you create distortions in the marketplace. And remember, the balance of power changes in Washington on a pretty regular basis. So if you don't think when the Democrats next get in power, they're not going to try to do something in reverse, it's just, it's just bad policy and a bad way to handle the economy to ever pass taxes, which dollars are green. Dollars are not red or blue. And tax laws should never be passed by single party party line votes and it wouldn't matter if the democrats had passed a tax bill single party the republicans passed one single party that's wrong taxes have always prior before we got in this hyper partisan era tax bills had always been a bipartisan effort so that businesses could plan for the future knowing it was settled law. Hi, Clark. Remember, Clark stinks. That's where you go (laughs) respond to that. Hi, Clark. On your podcast, you had a commentary about people reaching financial independence early and the struggles they faced with health care costs. I was so happy to hear you talk about this as my wife and I are nearing 50 years old and will look to be financially independent by then. The one item we worry about is health care, as my wife has a pre-existing autoimmune disorder that we worry may be difficult to find coverage for when I'm not working. So I eagerly awaited for you to address how we would best obtain coverage, but you did not offer any practical solutions. I do not want to say you stink, so I'll give you a second chance to give us some good advice on this topic. Any thoughts on where we could go 
where we could look to obtain coverage aside from the uh, from Obamacare does not look to be a real solution. So the the answer that may or may not be available to you if the Obamacare exchanges are too expensive for you buying as an individual would be in one of the meta shares, which are the religious affiliated risk pools that are generally more affordable. The coverages are not as comprehensive as they would be under an Obamacare exchange plan, but the premiums are lower and the deductibles are lower. And healthcare is a moving target. What things will be like a year from now, who knows? What they'll be like five years from now won't be anything like it is today. So it's hard for me to make ironclad predictions about how someone doing early retirement will fill the health care gap till they're 65 and eligible for Medica- uh, Medicare. I wish I had a perfect crystal ball for this, but it's actually really cloudy. I appreciate all your posts, and I'm sorry we didn't get to more. Next week, I'll make sure we get to more Clark Stinks, and you can always see what other people are posting at Clark.com under Clark Stinks. Georgia joins us on the Clark Howard Show, and Georgia, you've done a good job protecting your identity with credit freeze, but now it presents two possible oops in your life. Yes, uh, I'm uh, so happy to speak with you, Clark. I've listened to you for a long, long time, but yes, I have frozen my credit uh, based upon what you had advised your listeners to do, but I have moved in the last year from one side of the country to the other, and Insurance costs are a lot different here, so I wanted to shop my insurance, and I try to get all three, the car and the homeowners and the umbrella policy in one group so I get a discount, but now that I've frozen my credit, I'm wondering, do I have to unfreeze it to to check that out? What a great question, and the answer to that is changing in September. So let me tell you what the story is. So under pre-existing law, it depended on each state's credit-freeze statute whether insurance companies were allowed to check your credit for the purposes of underwriting you for insurance if your credit was frozen. Some states they could even if it was frozen, others they couldn't. So there's a new federal law going into effect in late September that on its effective date, insurers will have the right to check your credit even if you have a credit freeze in place. Okay. Sometimes provisions in the law are delayed after a law becomes effective, but I'm not aware of any delay in when that would occur. Okay. Well, the issue is my uh, my insurance will expire on September the 15th, so I'm going to need to do that pretty, pretty quickly. Well, the insurer will be able to tell you if they okay. can check your credit or not. Okay. So, so they'll be able. You you may very well be able to do so anyway, okay. depending on the state you've moved to. Okay, that's great. And uh, I had one other question, uh, Clark, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I actually have one high yield online savings account, but my husband still has his at a regular bank. Um, and uh, I keep trying to get him to move it, so I finally have talked him into it, 
But that's another thing. To open a high-yield savings account, will I have to have it unfrozen? Usually, yes, under what's known as the know-thy-customer rule. Uh The banks aren't required to do it based on credit. They just do it because it's easy and simple for them. So you may well have to thaw his credit in order to open an online savings account. It depends on the online bank if they will require that. And again, with the new federal law going into effect in September, there will be no charge for you to thaw your credit when you need to do that for an application for credit. Or in this case, to open an account. So it's a really positive change in the law that is great because now credit freeze will be free all across the 50 states as well as thawing whenever you need to. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. I get calls about real estate more than any other area that people call me about. I get calls about buying a home, issues with a landlord, being a landlord, just everything about a mortgage, you name it, I get the calls about real estate because it's the largest expense that any of us have in our lives, what we spend on housing. So I thought it was really interesting about someone who is a blogger named Gwen who decided very young that she wanted to be part of the FIRE movement, which I've talked about, which is where you become financially independent and you're able to retire early. That's what FIRE stands for. And so she does a blog and has been completely open about what she's been through with owning investment real estate. And so I was so impressed with her humility and honesty and what she's learned that I asked Gwen to join us here on the Clark Howard Show. And Gwen, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me on today, Clark. Sure. So your blog is called what exactly? Let's get that out there. Uh, Fiery Millennials is the name of my blog. And you are in your 20s with a goal of retiring by what point? Being a fire by what point? Uh, Originally, my goal was to be completely retired by the age of 35. And you said originally, where would you say you are now on that path? Um, Now I'm doing something called Coast FI, where I saved up a whole bunch of money, in my case, $200,000 in five years. And then I left my full-time corporate job and went on it uh, by my myself to become this entrepreneur full-time. How about you? So share with us your, um, you've had adventures and misadventures. Share with us the misadventure you've had with real estate that you can teach others so well about uh, what it's like jumping in with both feet. Yeah, I uh, bought a beautiful triplex to rent out as a live-in landlord 18 months ago. I spent $82,000 to buy it. I put down $5,000 of that, and I was expecting rent of about $1,600 per month, which seems like a pretty good deal. 
I lived in it for over a year before I ended up moving out of state and becoming an absentee landlord. Mm. I got a property manager to take over for me, but within months I was ready to sell. Numerous repairs were needed, my tenants were problematic, and the property was not in the best area of town. So I closed on the sale of a property yesterday, so I thought I'd share some lessons I learned from an investment gone sideways. Sideways, not bad. Sideways is better than bad. Yeah, yeah. It ended up uh, pretty well, actually. Um, For an investment property to not turn out well, I'm walking away with pretty much the best case scenario possible. So uh, what are the School of Hard Knocks lessons you have to share with others? Well, first, I knew that the property did some work. I could tell some cosmetic things were needed, but I grossly underestimated the extent and the cost of the repairs. It did help that I hired an unvetted contractor or two. Um, So my advice would be to get a trusted friend or contractor to walk through any property you're thinking about buying, and that way you get a realistic expectation on renovation costs. And as an added bonus, make sure that you get them to sign a contract as well. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy so you got hit by some fly by nights huh yeah the only thing that she knew how to paint was a vision of what she was going to do to the house oh no and had you paid money up front in addition to that to add salt to that wound uh we pay i paid uh, half up front and then half upon completion of work which didn't actually get fully paid because the work was never going to get completed correctly so and so you you had the misadventures of renovation, and you said you paid eighty two for the property. Is that right? Yep, eighty two thousand dollars. And how much did you run through on trying to get the property fixed up? All in all, I'm about forty thousand dollars in, and there's about fifty thousand dollars more of work to be done. Oh no! All right, so now our eighty two is up to one twenty two. Let's say. And uh, what was the next learning experience? So the next learning experience was with tenants. I inherited two tenants with the house, which seemed great because I moved in and it was full occupancy and the money was rolling in. Um, One tenant was absolutely fabulous and the other one was not so fabulous. So I kicked the bad one out, but um, I took a few months to get the unit rentable again. I had some repairs to do, a new carpet to put down and everything. So when that was done, um, I finally was looking for tenants and it was not the greatest time of year. It was in November. Um, I finally found one person who wanted to move in. So I didn't really vet him very, very well. Um, so a few months later, I was completely shocked when my new tenant abandoned the lease and ran away. Yeah. So, um, I moved away at that point. Uh, so I hired a property manager to take care of the property for me. Um, I learned that it's better to do the work up front when you're looking for new tenants. Do background checks, credit checks, call the referrals, and prior landlords. Doing all of that will eliminate a lot of stress and expenses down the road. And so you had, you had the, so far, I'd say three big issues that are like red flags that now you know to be careful of again the neighborhood the condition of the property, and then the quality of tenants. And you're, that's three strikes. You're already out. <laughs> Anything else go wrong? Yep. 
Um, well, with regards to the area, I mean, it wasn't the best area, um, which I didn't really know. So I was struggling to attract quality tents in the first place. So my advice would be to buy the worst house in the best part of town instead of the nicest house in a bad part of town. That is very sage and wise advice. And so how did you get out of this without getting hurt? Well, all of the repairs that I'd done had actually boosted the cost of the property or the value of the property. So I was able to sell it to another out-of-state landlord uh, for a total purchase price of $99,900. So you took a little bit of a hit on this, a little bit of a, a reversal on your path to financial independence. But as lessons go, that's actually a pretty inexpensive lesson. I'm very blessed. I'm walking away with my credit intact and money in my pocket. And so you want people to do a lot more vetting, homework, uh, all that before they get involved in real estate. And I can hear this positive energy in you. What was it that inspired you to decide that you wanted a life of financial independence at such a young age? I'd always been good with saving. My parents taught me a lot about personal finance when I was growing up. And so I ran across this blog of a guy named Mr. Money Mustache when I was in college. And I was reading through everything, and he was doing what I was doing just one step further. And I said, wow, this is what I've been prepping for my entire life. This is what I want to do with my money. This is great. I don't have to work for 40 years. Sign me up. And so you now are out there spreading the word yourself. Yeah, about uh, three years ago, I started my own blog to to get more involved with the community. And uh, I haven't regretted it since, and I've never looked back. Well, Gwen, thank you so much for sharing with us. And hit me with the name of your blog again. FieryMillennials.com. That's double L, double N. Well, great. Well, continued success to you. And thank you for sharing a misadventure because I think a lot of people have this misimpression that getting involved in real estate, getting involved in any kind of venture is just like straight line. And the reality is more complicated and sharing it and sharing your wisdom, you teach others. I appreciate that so much and best to you moving forward. Daniel's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Daniel. How you doing? Good. How are you? Great. Thank you, Daniel. You got a question for me about trying to make sure you're safe. What's the scoop? Well, um, my wife won a free trip to Cancun. Um, and as you've heard and probably read about, it seems to be getting a little bit more uh, dangerous, I guess is the easy way to say it. And so we've kind of went back and forth. And uh, she's okay to go. I'm still a little bit skeptical, but it's a free trip. So uh, I figured I'd call you and see what you had to say. So there is a State Department advisory on Mexico, and it was updated right. just a few weeks ago. And so right. the advisory has some places in Mexico it says not to travel. just says don't travel. And for others, there's uh, pretty detailed information. So... In the case of Cancun, Cozumel, uh, there's, there's, from time to time, there are some very highly publicized crimes 
and it's very rare that any of those involve tourists. So it's okay. it's not something that I would say is something you need to be especially worried about. You just have to use good common sense. So women traveling alone need to be extra careful even at a resort because of problems going on with uh, drugs being put in their drinks. Right. Um, that's not normally an issue for a, a couple traveling. There's not things with that. And it's away from a resort that there have been problems that tourists have just ended up basically in the wrong place at the wrong time. But as far as Cancun going there, I'm not especially nervous or worried for you. Well, good. It makes me actually feel better because, uh, yeah, we best, definitely went back and forth. And uh, the more stuff comes out, the more I'm gleaning, you know, the opposite way. But, um, I mean, you, you have a good point that it's not tourists. It's usually just the people involved, I guess. Yeah, there's, but, uh, uh, you know, Mexico has a problem with the rule of law. And it's gotten worse because of the, the cartels, you know, the drug gangs. But right. that activity is only peripherally in the area of the Yucatan Peninsula, and the level of crime in the Yucatan is nothing compared to other parts of Mexico that have faced a lot of crime. So I got you. Um, but taking advice from me, go read the State Department advisory and concentrate specifically on what they have to say about the area where Cancun is, and I think you'll feel more comfortable going, but I'm such a bad one to ask because I've traveled all over the world. I've traveled into areas in the midst of civil unrest, so uh -huh. I'm, I'm more of a risk taker than most people are, but as far as the level of risk involved in going to Cancun or Cozumel, it is certainly low enough that I would feel comfortable going as a traveler, even if I okay. weren't the adventurous kind of person I am. Just be smart about what you do and where you go, and you should have just a great time. Art's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Art. How you doing? Pretty good, sir. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Art. You have a question for me that's one of those puzzles that's hard to know where to put the pieces. That's right. A uh, previous employer had a pension plan, and I fell into like a little uh, uh, a gap there where my age and time of service, you know, didn't equal up to a magic number where I could get a payout. So the money's just been sitting there. And now, after many years have gone by, they want to offer a lump sum and or a annuity option and kind of wondering which way I should uh, go with that. So can I ask how old you are now? Yes sir, I'm 59 in December. Well congratulations because <laughs> you're right at a point where uh, this could be advantageous to you and normally it's not always true but normally it is true that you're best off taking the payout over time, the annuitization of it, if you will, mm -hmm. versus taking the lump sum. 
The reason is, is that it's hard for us as individuals to produce a return anywhere near the point where we would effectively be able to generate more money for us than what they can pay us through an ongoing payout. Because they're able to take um, more calculated risks when they're dealing with an entire large pool of people than you're able to as an individual. Now, there are a couple of exceptions to this. The number one exception is the company that would be paying you this pension, do you have a good feel for how financially strong they are? Uh, Yes, sir, I do. Mm -hmm. And would you say that they are extremely strong financially or a company that you're like scratching your head, they're still in business? No, I feel they're uh, extremely strong. So if they're extremely strong, then it makes it uh, potentially a great idea for you to take just the ongoing payout for the rest of your life. Okay. And that payout, it could start next uh, with November, this this coming November. It, it depends on so you know, what options. How much do they reduce it each year for you taking it before age 65? Uh, they have three different formulas that they use to calculate that. Okay. So that gets pretty technical. You could um, go see someone who's known as an actuary to try to calculate for you whether it's better for you to take it at 65 or at 59. Mm -hmm. But how much money are we talking about to see if you just make an educated guess or it's worth going to hire somebody? Um. As far as the annuity option? Yeah, what would they be paying you per month if you took it at 59 A couple hundred dollars a month. No, so that's not worth enough money for you to go hire an actuary no. to run an analysis. Uh, if it were me, being able to take that money and know you're going to have it the rest of your life, I would make the decision on age 59 or 65 then on a different basis, and that would be... How long do men seem to live in your family? Mid-80s. Then I would wait to age 65. That's how I would decide. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, there's a giant team behind bringing you everything we do at Team Clark. Our podcast and radio show are produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. My TV producer is Leah Dunn. Clark.com is made possible thanks to Krista DiBiaz, James DeGal, John Crest, Theo Timu, Michael Timmerman, Craig Johnson, Beth Marcinko, Clara Bosnetto, John Jones, and Grace Del Rio. ClarkDeals.com, where you can find the best deals from around the web, is produced by Karis Brown, Laura Sayers, Sarah Jordan, and Damon Marley. You can sign up for our newsletters at Clark.com thanks to Sally McDonald, And our social media gurus are Chelsea Glass and Nicole Carroll. Our Off-Air Advice Center is run by Lori Silverman, Sarah Mobley, and Sue Gatliff. And their team's available to serve you over 40 hours each week at 404-892-8227. And this is a free service of Team Clark. Thanks for listening. Till next time.